Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Hi, I'm Ryan. It's great to be with you today sharing the message. We're in a New Year's season in, in January and um, it's a bit of a cho- choose your own adventure for the first couple of weeks. So last week we had Andy, he, he spoke about the three, three simple truths about our relationship with God. And I encourage you, if you haven't already, go back and listen to that preach. And I'm sharing with you this week, Andy, Andy mentioned that um, he wasn't one to make New Year's resolutions. Well, I am. I'm maybe a different character type to Andy, maybe uh, just a little bit different, but I, I make New Year's resolutions. I'm actually quite a task-focused person, a bit of an achiever. And I think January is often an opportunity to reset, an opportunity to reevaluate, an opportunity to reflect and, and set some resolutions. But often I've found that these resolutions can almost become a little bit legalistic, a little bit about things I want to achieve, things I want to do. So at this time of year, I, I think it's, it's good to step back to step back from, from the story we're surrounded by and look at the bigger picture, look at God's story. So that's what we're going to do to get together today. If you've been around Red for a while, you would have seen this, this concentric uh, circles diagram a few times. In the middle, you've got ourselves, our story, my story, my story, the, the story of self. Beyond that, you have our story, the community story, the, the people's story. And then beyond that, you have the story. This is God's story. And this is how we're called to live. We're called to live in an environment within a community surrounded by the story of God. That's what the world is. It's the story of God. But the problem with New Year's resolutions that I find is often they're focused on on self. They're focused on my story. And that's what the world often does to us. It, it turns the, this, this concentric, the, the circles inwards and makes, makes life about ourselves. So we're going to do a refresher today. We're going to look at the story of the people of God again. And we're going to remind ourselves. We're going to reorientate ourselves. We're going to refresh. We're going to remember the story of the people of God. So how are we going to do that? We're going to jump into Exodus. We're going to look at our spiritual ancestors. We're going to specifically look at the competing stories that they faced. We're going to look at uh, uh, what they faced and what the similarities are for us today. So we're going to jump into Exodus 4. But before we do, I'm going to give you a bit of a backstory. So I'm just going to lightly cover about four or 500 years of history here. Um, So bear with me. It's going to be light on detail. I'm just going to take you through a quick journey. So this is the, the story of God's people. We know in Genesis, God calls out Abram. He says he's going to make him a great nation. And Abram goes, he, he leaves his, his home and he goes into a new land. He goes off as a nomadic people group and he, he start, goes out on the promise of God, trusting in God. We know that he has a son. He has, he has, eventually he has a son, Isaac. And we know there's this moment, if you remember, where he, he's, he's called to, he, leave, he lays his son down on the altar as, as if to offer him as a living sacrifice. And, and God says, no, that's not the way it's going to be in this kingdom in this nation. It's not going to be like that. We're not going to be doing child sacrifices like the other nations. This is about obedience and trust. God wants our obedience and trust. He doesn't want sacrifice alone. 
We know from Isaac that comes that Jacob, Jacob's given the name Israel. This is a uh, God um, t- telling, reminding again that, that this, I'm going to form a nation here. And Jacob has a son, Joseph. And then Joseph ends up um, via a number of circumstances through, through Genesis. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up actually a dignitary in Egypt. He ends up parallel with, with Pharaoh. He ends up having this favour. And through Joseph and this favour, God's people are reconciled together in Egypt. And they actually have favour. They, 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 they get to live in the, the best parts of the land, the, the, the best farmland in the floodplains of the Nile. And they, they're fruitful. They, they produce in number and they're, they're given leadership positions over, over livestock. And, um, and, and yeah, they're, they're well in this foreign land, Egypt. They're still a future nation. They're gathered in Egypt and they're having favour. Fast forward through Genesis and into Exodus and, and suddenly we hear a different story. The pharaohs have changed. The pharaohs have come and gone. And eventually there's this pharaoh that comes that is, that is worried about the Israelites, is worried about the Hebrews. And instead of them having favour, they, they fall under control. They start to get, become oppressed. This, the Egyptians rule, the Egyptian rulers of the day start to lord it over them. I don't know if you've ever um, seen uh, an Egyptian mummy or um, if you've seen a, a, a hieroglyphic or you'll have seen this all over um, uh, ancient, ancient Egyptian um, culture. The, the, the Egyptian mummies are often buried with, a, with, with two staffs, two staffs crossed on their chest. They're often pictured in hieroglyphs holding these two staffs. One's the crook. It's like the shepherd's staff. It's a crook. It's to tend to the sheep. And the other is the flail. It's like a staff with three cords of beads to whip with. There's the crook and the flail. To tend and to hurt, to guide and to punish. And this is where the people find themselves. They've entered Egypt and they've enjoyed the crook. They've enjoyed the staff. Egypt's the Pharaoh's staff. They've had good land, but now they're under the flail. They're under a different staff. They're being oppressed. They're being punished. They're being hurt. And they're surrounded by this this story, the the earthly empire, the story of the earthly empire. They're still themselves. They still have their own story themselves. They still have their people. They're still the people of God. But they're surrounded by this different story. It's no longer the story of God. It's a false story. It's the wrong story. It's the earthly empire story. And this is where we join them. This is where we're going to join them today as we we dive into scripture and read about them. We know that God sees their plight. He sees their misery. He rises up this leader called Moses. Moses ends up in the wilderness. He's withdrawn from the earthly empire, from Egypt. And he has this encounter with God. He sees this bush burning up, but it doesn't burn. And he responds. Moses goes over. And God sets Moses a task. He says, go, gather my people. I've seen their misery. I've seen their misery. Take this message to them. Bring my people out of Egypt. God says this to Moses. I will be with you. I love Moses. I love how his response is so human. He has just seen this burning bush. He's having this encounter with the Almighty, with God, the God of Abraham, with our God. And 
in that, this amazing encounter, he questions God. I, I know, I love this because it's so human. I do it too. I think we've, we've, we're all guilty of this. He says, but, but what if they actually, if they don't actually listen to me? What if they don't actually listen to me? And in Exodus 4, it says this, Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And what if they say their Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I love how the story goes on. Moses um, Moses goes through this encounter with a burning bush. He's just dropped his staff, thrown his staff down. It's become a snake. He's ran off from it. He's then been told to grab it by the tail. So he does that, it turns back into a staff. And he's like, whew, um, that, that would be intense, right? And then he, <laughs> a little while later, he says, uh, uh, pardon me, um, please could, could send someone else, maybe Aaron. Can you send Aaron? And it's almost as if God's frustrated with him, but, but understands Moses' worry. And he says, yes, okay, you, you know, this is Ryan's paraphrase, this is in the scripture, but yes, okay, Aaron can go with you. Yeah. Actually tell Aaron what to say, yeah, he's, you know, and give him the words and he'll speak the words. And then in verse 17, it says this really interesting thing. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. There's importance in this staff, in this leadership, peace, in this representation of, of shepherding people. So Moses goes. Moses does what God's, God asks. And we join the story now in, in Exodus 4, verse 29. We're going to read a, a chunk of scripture together, together now. It's going to be on your screen. So Exodus 4, 29. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people and they believed. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to the Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey to the desert to offer the sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. The same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and to the foreman in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Then let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota, they are lazy. 
That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scouted all over Egypt to gather stubble for use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them and saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foreman appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foreman went and appeared to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw. Yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now now get to work. You will not be given any straw and you, you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not, a, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is uh, 24 verses of text. And wow, it's actually, it's a bit of a roller coaster here. So I just want to recap on this. We know that the people of God, they're oppressed, they're downtrodden. They've been like this for hundreds of years now. They've been crying out and God's heard them. Moses, a leader, has come to them. This representation of of Jesus, a future saviour with the staff, the shepherd. And he's he's come with them with with signs, these amazing signs. He performed that sign in front of them. He, He... threw down his staff and it's become a snake and they would have been amazed by this. And they're rejoicing. They're, they're, they're about to receive freedom, they're being told. They, it says, scripture says here they, were, they bowed down, they worshipped. But then suddenly it doesn't go quite the way they thought. It's not going so well. And in these 24 short verses, their mood completely flips. No longer are they worshipping. No longer are they bowing down. No longer are they delegating authority to Moses and Aaron and saying, go and represent us in front of Pharaoh. Now they're going to Pharaoh themselves. And they're condemning Moses and Aaron. May the Lord judge you. You put a sword in their hand for them to kill us. They're so flippant. They're so easily led. They're so discouraged. They're so untrusting of this promise of God. And that's what I want to do today. I want to understand why. Why have they flipped? But to understand why, to get into their psyche of why they don't have this trust in this message that God has sent them, we've got to understand what's anchoring them. See, somewhere between Joseph's death and this point in history, the people have stopped trusting in the story of God. It's not that they stopped believing in God. They stopped trusting in him. And more than that, they haven't just stopped trusting in him. They've placed their trust in something else. They've placed their trust, their belief on how this will play out in Pharaoh's staffs. At first, they were lured in by the the crook of Pharaoh. 
the shepherd staff of Pharaoh. But now they're feeling a cosh of his flail. And that's what they trust in. They trust in the dominant force that they live in. These two staffs, the, the staffs of Pharaoh. There's two competing stories at play here. There's the story of the earthly empire. And there's the story of God. They've given in here to the empire story, to the threat, to the flail, to being controlled. It wasn't always this way. The Israelites first said yes to the comfort. They said yes to the best part of the land. And they chose to abide in it. First, they got comfortable in the earthly empire. Next, they started to forget who they should be placing their trust in, forgetting the story of God, forgetting that God is who they should trust. And now they're susceptible to just being controlled by the story of the earthly empire. The people that spent so long in the earthly empire, they were now being led by it. And you and I aren't much different. We're susceptible to this too. We're at risk. We're at risk of believing in God, but following the promises of the world. We're certainly in a period here in, in Australia, here in Melbourne, where we're more being led by the crook than the flail. Maybe some of you disagree, and, and regardless of what your political views are on, on COVID restrictions and all that stuff, we can't compare our, our present day to the, the bondage and slavery of the Israelites. We're not under the cosh in the way they are. We're not being forced into manual labour. We're not being downtrodden in the way they, they are. In fact, I, I don't really fear oppressive control. I'm more prone to FOMO, a fear of missing out, a fear of missing out on the comfort that the world has to offer. I'm a, it's a little bit shocking. You've probably all seen the news this week and everyone's panicking because of COVID disruption and supply chains have been disrupted and there's not as much food on the supermarket shelves and, and, and there's this, this, this fear. But it's not a fear of starvation. It's not a fear of oppression. It's actually a little bit ridiculous when you think about it. I've, I looked in my pantry. I've got a bag of rice. If anyone's short of rice, I reckon I've got about a year's supply of rice. This huge bag of rice would feed our whole church probably two meals each. You know, that's how much rice I've got in my pantry. I've got some lentils. I've got bags of lentils. We've got this rice and this lentils. It's not like that we fear starvation. It's like, oh, what if we miss out on our red meat? What if we miss out on the choicest cuts? What if the, the, the trimmings and the trappings of life aren't on the supermarket shelves when I want them? It's actually a little bit ridiculous when you think about it. There's, there's parts of the world are starving and we're worried about our comfort. You see on the news, see on the news, it was in, in uh, an article I read the other day, there's, there's now COVID parties happening. People are going to COVID parties to catch COVID. And this is, this is a weird kind of sense of control. The, the, all the data saying that, the, um, you know, this, this thing's spreading quickly. The numbers are showing us that. And they're saying, we've got we've to not let this spread as quick because the healthcare system is under pressure. So slow this down. And people are going to parties to get it out of convenience. I want to get it on my terms when it's convenient for me. I want to be in control. 
the develop we're in the developed world where we have a healthcare system and it's it, it's easy to look at the third world the the undeveloped world the developing world and say well that's not my problem i've got a different situation ray vanderlen in in the world that the world may know when talking about this 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 different empire he says this if you see a culture where life is cheap and sacrifice of others is acceptable to sustain your own obsession with pleasure and entertainment and wealth, you have before you the wrong story. Sometimes I wonder if we as the people of God, if we're actually paralysed by the promises of the world, if we've been distracted from the story of God and we've bought into the story of the world. See, the issue I think for us at this point in history The issue is not how does God lead us out of this earthly empire. It's how does God God lead the earthly empire out of us? How does God lead the earthly empire out of us? So if we're going to be more like the people of God this year, if we're going to journey through this year and look more like the people of God at the end of this year than at the start of this year. We need to rid ourselves of the earthly empire. We need to rid ourselves of false promises, false idols that we've put in front of God. We need to see what the Israelites saw and we need to do what the Israelites did. We can't be in this half-baked. I think sometimes I think, yeah, I'll I'll have God's earthly empire. It doesn't work. It doesn't exist. We're either following the story of God or we're following the story of the earthly empire. We need to trust in God's story. We either trust in God's story or we don't. So we read on. We read on in scripture and we see, well, what do the Israelites do? We read on and it's very familiar. We know these 10 plagues. This is God showing showing people who he is. This is so that they may know in their hearts, they may yada, they may know in their hearts who he is. is isn't just so the, the Israelites may know, it's so that the Egyptians may know as well. And I want to focus on two parts. We're not going to read through all of the, the ten plagues, but we're going to focus on two parts of Scripture to see how the Israelites responded. The Israelites, surrounded by this culture, who have initially bought into this culture, the, the earthly empire, the way of the world. How do, they do, how do they change? What happens to release them from this bondage? So we're going to focus on two parts. We're going to look right before the, the 10 plagues and we're going to look just after the 10 plagues. So join me in Exodus 7 verses 8 to 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. 
There's a really interesting passage of scripture just before the plagues are going to happen. The Israelites are going to be set free by God. They're going to move into God's kingdom. They're going to reject the empire. They're going to step into God's story, readopt God's story, remember God's story and journey towards God. Just before that, we have this strange narrative of, of um, Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh and performing the sign again. And I don't know if you noticed in Scripture when they threw down the staves and they became snakes and the magician, the magicians and the sorcerers came in and the wise men and they threw down their staves too and by their, by their tricks they, they became snakes. It then says that Aaron's staff ate their staffs. Now, don't be mistaken here. This isn't about the story about snakes eating snakes. I don't know how it physically happened, but what Scripture tells us is intentional. The staff that Aaron is carrying, the way of God, eats their staffs. It eats the Egyptian method of control. This is a story of God's story being fuller, being better, being true in comparison to the world's story. Make no mistake about it. This isn't about staff. This isn't about snakes. This is about staffs. This is about how we are led as the people of God. This is about God's story being infinitely more powerful than any earthly empire. And this is the first thing we're called to do. The first thing we're called to do in our hearts is to know the story of God. Not just intellectually, but in our hearts. We, we want to yada, we want to know the story of God. So after this, after the, there's this demonstration of the power of the story of God, then the ten plagues are described. The, the, he, the Hebrew, Hebrews are starting to know, they're starting to experience that God is God again. And they go through these ten plagues and then something interesting happens. Until this point, the Hebrews have just been witnessing. They've just been bystanders. They've just been watching this, this story unfold. They've been watching these ten plagues come. But then we join them in Exodus 12, verse 11, and something, something different happens here. Now they're asked to get involved. They're asked to respond. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for your first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour. Having taken into account the number of people there, there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be one-year-old males without defect, and you can take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at, at twilight. Then they are to take some blood and put it on the sides and tops of their door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
there's this picture of the Israelites getting involved with the story again, sacrificing a male goat or sheep, a ram, and they're to paint the blood on their door frames. This is really interesting. Theologians will tell you this points to Jesus' coming, him being the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that's without blemish. This atoning sacrifice so we can have a relationship with God. But there's another really interesting fact in here. This male ram in Egyptian culture, the head of their deities, Kuham, one of their deities, this was a representation. He, he had the head of a ram. This is a representation of the earthly empire. And the Israelites are asked to take action. They're asked to actually take this, this symbol in Egyptian culture of a deity and sacrifice it. This is, the, this is the Israelites now stepping up and saying, I'm not trusting in this story anymore. I'm adopting a different story. I'm stepping into God's story. And in this act of sacrifice, by saying no to the Egyptian story, to the empire story, to the world story, they were saying yes to God's story. But more than that, they then go and paint it on their doorsteps, on the, on the sides of their door and their door tops. This is them being led in their heart to make an outward declaration that they're rejecting something for everyone to see. And that's the second thing that we've got to do. We've got to see what the Israelites saw and we've got to do what they did. So the first thing is that they, they knew the story of God in the hearts. The second point is this. They, reject, they were led by God to reject the story of the earthly empire. They were led by God to reject the story of the earthly empire. I don't know what that looks like for you this year. I don't know what you're being called to reject, to stop placing your trust in. I don't know whether it's uh, put down a need to achieve or maybe it's pick up something and step into something to achieve something for God. I don't know. But we are being called, we're being led by God to reject the earthly empire in which we find ourselves. Knowing his story, rejecting the earthly empire to follow him. And the next really interesting piece from this, this passage of scripture is where they talk about you were to eat it with your, with your cloak tucked into your belt, with your sandals on, with your staff. You're to burn it all up. Any, any leftovers, burn them up in the morning. Basically, this is God preparing his people to be ready to go out. It's interesting that before the plagues, when the plagues come, and I first read this, I'm like, oh, this is God showing the Hebrews who he is. He's reminding them. He's refreshing their memories, replenishing them. And that's true. He's, he's, he's doing it so that they may know, so they may yada, they may know, they may experience God again. But then it says something really interesting. It says that so the Egyptians may know, so the Egyptians may yada, may know that he is God, may experience that he is God. This is evangelical from the start. This is God gathering his people into a nation. But this isn't just for the people that are being gathered. This is they're painting on their, their doorposts, on their doorheads to represent something into a culture. This is evangelical from the start. And this is the third point for you today. That we've got to be re ready and willing to go for the sake of the world. If we're going to make any New Year's resolutions this year, let's not make them focused on my story. 
Let's not make them focused on our story, the church. Let's make them focused on God's story. Let's look at his bigger story. Let's know that he is God in our hearts. Let's abide with him. Let's be led by him to say no to the narrative at play around us. Let's reject the way of the world as we step in to God. Let's be renewed by him. And let's get up and be ready to go. Let's be led by God as we go with him. God wants to use us for the sake of this world. This year, let's look at this Israelite story and say yes to it and step into it once again. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the story of of our spiritual ancestors and how they, how you, saw their misery and came back to them and invited them to respond to you again. My prayer over everyone listening to this preach is that they may hear you again more clearly and respond to you again in a more profound way through this year. May this year, may the story, our story, may my story this year be marked by and obedience to your story. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.